So Humpty Dumpty's in the therapy office, <laughs> and the therapist is saying to Humpty, we have to get you to the place where you can put yourself back together. Somehow that's appropriate to what we're doing here. We were all Humpty Dumpties, <laughs> Humpty Dumpties. Maybe waiting for all the king's horses and all the king's men. At some point we realize, oh, yeah, I have to do that work. Or maybe we realize we're not broken. That's the deep Humpty Dumpty teaching. <laughs> of course, Achan Chah used to give that story of um, the cup is already broken. This cup is already broken. So that's the even deeper Humpty Dumpty teaching is we're not broken and at the same time we're broken. Oh, it's getting really deep now. <laughs> or confusing. <clears throat> so, um, as I said, I wanted to talk about this meeting of mindfulness and heartfulness, kindness, friendliness. There's not, a wo- there's not one word um, that describes for me well enough that quality of heartful attention. Um, but compassionate presence is one, is one phrase that I use. Um, you know, in this teaching we develop through Vipassana practice, mindfulness is capacity to know, to be present, to be aware, to be awake, to um, be fully uh, attuned to experience. And there's also the, the heart practices, the, what's called the Brahma-Vihara practices of love, kindness, friendliness, compassion, joy, equanimity. And we develop those as, as separate practices, but you know, in our lives and as, as the fruition of those practices mature, those qualities come together. So when we meet the moment, the breath, sounds, sensations, difficulty, each other, challenges in our lives, those qualities hopefully are more available to draw on, to, to support whatever situation that we're in. So I want to read a story that, I'm, that I came across on uh, Facebook, of all places. I don't generally bring too much of Facebook into my Dharma talks, but... Um, <laughs> You'd be relieved to know. <laughs> but uh, this, this story particularly touched me, and it, I thought it was a wonderful example of how when these, this quality of friendly presence or kind attention, when that's available, then uh, it allows for experience to unfold in a way that might not happen if we were more closed or cooler or more detached um, or reactive. So it's a long story, so settle in, but don't fall asleep. It's not a bedtime story yet. <laughs> 20 years ago, I drove a cab for a living. 
One night, I took a fare at 2.30 a.m. When I, when I arrived to collect, the building was dark except for a single light in the ground floor window. So I walked to the door and knocked. Just a minute, answered a frail elderly voice. I could hear something being dragged across the floor. After a long pause, the door opened and a small woman in her 80s stood before me. She was wearing a print dress and a pillbox hat with a veil pinned on it, like somebody out of a 1940s movie. By her side was a small nylon suitcase. The apartment looked as if no one had lived there for years. All the furniture was covered in sheets. Would you carry my bag out to the car, she said. I took the suitcase to the cab, then returned to assist the woman. She took my arm and we walked slowly towards the, the curb. She kept thanking me for my kindness. Oh, it's nothing, I told her. I just try to treat my passengers the way I'd want my mother treated. When we got in the cab, she gave me an address and then asked, could you drive through downtown? Well, it's not the shortest way, I answered quickly. Oh, I don't mind, she said. I'm in no hurry. I'm on my way to hospice. I looked in the rear view mirror. Her eyes were glistening. I don't have any family left, she continued. The doctors say I don't have very long. I reach over and shut off the meter. What route would you like me to take, I asked. For the next two hours, we drove through the city. She showed me the building where she had once worked as an elevator operator. We drove through the neighborhood where she and her husband had lived when they were newlyweds. She had me pull in front of a furniture warehouse that had once been a ballroom where she'd begun dancing as a girl. Sometimes she'd ask me to slow in front of a particular building or corner and would sit staring into the darkness, saying nothing. As the first hint of sun was creasing the horizon, she suddenly said, I'm tired, let's go. We drove in silence to the address she'd given me. Two orderlies came out to the cab as we pulled up. I opened the trunk and took the small suitcase to the door. The woman was already seated in a wheelchair. How much do I owe you, she asked, reaching into her purse. Oh, nothing, I said, you have to make a living. Nothing, I said. Oh, but you have to make a living, she answered. Oh, there are other passengers, I responded. Almost without thinking, I bent and gave her a hug. She held on to me tightly. Our hug ended with her remark. You gave an old woman a little moment of joy. After a slight pause, she added, thank you, and, sque and I squeezed her hand and walked into the dim morning light. Behind me, a door shut. It was the sound of the closing of a life. I didn't pick up any more passengers that shift. I drove aimlessly lost in thought for the rest of the day. I could hardly talk. What if that woman had gotten an angry driver? or one who was impatient to end his shift? What if I'd refused to take the run or had honked once and driven away? On a quick review, I don't think that I have done anything more important in my life. We're conditioned to think that our lives revolve around great moments, but great moments often catch us unaware, beautifully wrapped in what others may consider a small one. So quite an amazing story, huh? Very beautiful, very touching. I well up every time I read different parts of that story. Just the, the ordinary kindness and the humanness and the fragility and knowing that we'll all be there one day in different ways. And what I love about it is his reflection at the end of how he showed up and how he was just able to be present and attentive and attending and meeting her just where she was. Yes, you want to drive? Yes, you want to go and show me around? And it was 
a beautiful quality of presence in, in the way he's describing, in the way he's, uh, in the way they're both meeting those very poignant moments of her, of her life, the review. Uh, so, so as I said, I, that story for me is a, is a wonderful metaphor for the quality of presence that we can bring. And as you said, often those really profound moments are really the ordinary moments. Just the everyday moments of listening to somebody, holding someone's hand, someone's telling you a story, child in distress, you're in difficulty, um, someone's dealing with a loss. Someone just told me they lost their dog last week for 17 years. It's, you know, it's a very tender loss. And so we all have our own different versions of those stories. And um, I keep coming back in my own practice and in my teaching to this one very simple point, which is how do we meet life? How do we meet experience? What quality of a presence and attention do we bring to this, to listening to that story, to how you're f- impacted by that story and the feelings that come up? Maybe you're touched and it touches a certain grief or loss you've experienced. Um, maybe there's a sweetness in the loss, or maybe there's a pushing down of the painful feelings. You know, we all have our different reactions. So um, I thought it was fitting that the, the, uh, the drill folks outside decided to uh, come back and give us some more listening meditation practice, <laughs> packing and unpacking their truck or whatever they were doing. I don't know. It sounded like packing up. And I was curious, you know, given I invited people to pay attention to the quality of attention and, and any reaction or the way that you're receiving. <clears throat> And be curious about whether you were able to welcome that clanging and banging, and uh, or whether there was a clenching and a bracing and a resisting, or a complaining or a fighting, or um... <laughs> you never heard them. <laughs> and then some of us are so deep in meditation that we just don't even hear it. <laughs> So how was that, having people doing it some uh, construction while you're meditating? What was that quality of presence like? Well, I noticed my state of being before, let's say, some distraction helps, because I'm, I'm in such a good mood right now, I just loved every single thing, because I feel that way. Whereas I notice if I feel irritated before I'm going into trying mm-hmm. to pay attention, or even if I'm not, then everything irritates me. Like, so it seems that that made it so much easier because I feel so great right now mm-hmm. before I got in here. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I was mm-hmm. already, every love, I was already there. Right. So the comment was that depending on the state prior to the meditation really affects how we are in the meditation, how we respond to things. So she reported feeling really happy going into the practice, so the sounds were not a bother at all, but had she been in a more reactive place, then things would have been much more difficult and prickly. And so that's true. So depending on the state that we're, you know, we're very conditioned by our states, and so for feeling open and spacious, the sounds can be like drums and bells. And, but if we're not, they can be feel like blackboard scratching. And uh, what else? 
Any other responses to the sounds? <coughs> Reactions? Yes. Well, actually, it's much easier to deal with an annoying thing out there than an annoying thing out uh-huh. there. So I was quite grateful. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so the comment was she was appreciating that it was much easier to deal with an annoying thing out there than an annoying thing in here, which is often very true. And then what's more challenging is when the annoying thing out there creates an annoying thing in here, <laughs> and then we have a double whammy, and we're not quite sure which one to complain about, and then we usually go to blaming the thing out there that's causing the thing we don't like here, right? And that's often so much of our lives. We, you know, we react to things, and people particularly, and get into antagonistic, aversive relationships or dynamics with people because they trigger and elicit things in here that we're not so comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Fear, envy, anxiety, or whatever it might be that gets triggered. And then we go into either attacking or recoiling. Mm-hmm. Two very primary tendencies, moving against, striking out against the object, or, re- or removing, withdrawing. And really, they're just mirrors just like the sounds, just a mirror for, oh, what, what, what's my state of mind like? Oh, the sound's not impacting or not even hearing it, or it's really difficult and I'm frustrated because I just came to Spirit Rock just to have a peaceful, quiet time. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Somebody was telling me about living in an apartment where they hear the sounds of people walking and cats playing and children playing, and um, if that's the case, you know, maybe you come here because it's so quiet. And then, then look what happens. So, so you know, in that way, meditation's a training. It's a training for how do I bring these these qualities forth? It's not just about sitting on the on the cushion or the chair. It's about uh, what, are these available? Can I draw on these? So. So there's many different ways that, that this quality, that, 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 that friendly presence or, in, or welcoming presence um, is uh, not so available. Right? I call it mindfulness with an edge, where we're sort of present, but there's, there's something, there's also, it's, it's filtered by coolness or a sense of rejection or a sense of judgment or resistance or attachment to wanting something particular to happen, or impatience, yeah. or perseverance. And so just to notice what, what else is... So mindfulness, in its essence, pulls, so they say, in, 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 from a Buddhist psychological point of view, mindfulness pulls uh, wholesome, healthy qualities towards it. Yeah. Patience, calm, clarity, um, insight, etc. And when that's not so present, the other qualities come that are not so easy to be with. <clears throat> so we want to pay attention to what, 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 what gets in the way, what, what interferes with me just simply sitting and welcoming the, the inner stuff or the outer stuff. And what's, what's hard about that? And that changes different meditations, different times of day. But to be curious. What stops us from being peaceful 
through a meditation or a day or sitting at your desk or driving in traffic as if the traffic's the problem. All that traffic out there that's stopping me, that's not traffic, from getting to my destination. <clears throat> so, and usually it's some form of resistance, some form of recoiling and not wanting this to be what it is. So I've told this story before, I think, but I used to live in a place in San Anselmo, and um, uh, it was a quiet place up on the hill, and my neighbor, uh, somebody bought the neighboring piece of land, and uh, they wanted to do a big construction project, and which would be illegal now because of county zoning, but at the time it wasn't. They um, had this, this, this idea of building a bridge over the creek and then building a house on the bridge. Metal, made of metal, and uh, to make enough room for the house, they had to take away 100,000 tons of earth, which was sort of inconceivable, but they did. Um, and it was a little noisy. <laughs> I, was right be, I was right above this construction project, and um, it was like that, but sort of 7 in the morning till 5 at night every day, uh, except louder. And it was really great practice to watch my mind, to see, because some mornings it was, you know, I'd hear the back hose beep, 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 and it wasn't a problem, it was just sounds, and it was what it was, and then other, other, other days it was really frustrating, and I was pissed off and reactive, and sometimes I'd go down and talk to the foreman, and like, it's in the morning. Um, actually, I did that once, but you know, it was a difficult day. Um, but it was a great metaphor for how my mind, it's to see where, the, see where the source of the problem was. Because there were days when it really was, 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 was just what it was, it, wasn't, it was just sound. So clearly the problem wasn't in the, in the, in the noise itself, but whatever was, whatever was getting stirred and triggered internally. So it went on for about a year and a half, and, uh, and they had... <laughs> And they hadn't even started the bridge yet, never mind the house. So at some point I said, okay, I think I'll, I'll move. <laughs> there's a place for endurance, and there's a place for patience and practicing, and then there's a place for going, you know, there are quieter places in this world <laughs> to live. So, so just, I'm putting that out there just to, so that there's often a perception that, that this practice is leading to some kind of passivity and inaction, but it's really just leading to clarity and understanding so you make wise decisions. In that, in that moment for me it was to move. So, so the Buddha talked about this idea of the, the, the sutta on the two dots, um, and it relates to what was happening with the sound. How, how many people were having reaction to the sound, just out of curiosity, do a little Come on, put your, come on, it's okay, have a reaction to the sound. <laughs> okay. Positive, Positive sound. Yeah, I just, yeah, I thought ah. I was envisioning um, the new meditation center. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh -huh. so that's all, I just wanted to focus there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, so she was finding the, the sound positive because she was thinking it was a new meditation center being built. Uh -huh. You mean you don't like this one? <laughs> come on. Uh, it's time for 
it's time. Time for an upgrade. Okay. So, so the Buddha made this analogy of um, the two darts, where the first dart is just the arrow of experience, so any sense contact, in this case sound, could have been, you could have been sitting with backache or with some grief or some, something that was not so easy to be with. And then the second dart that we add is usually mental and some kind of idea or belief or story that we get attached to, like, well, why are they doing that? Don't they know it's a meditation center? Don't they know we're meditating? Do you know how far I've driven to do this meditation practice? Do you know how many people are in? You know, and we create these stories that, that, that constrict and enforce the reactivity as if we're right, as if that viewpoint is right. So that's the sex. So there's the, there's the unpleasantness of the sense stimuli, which the sound aggravating, but then the mental addition is what really causes the suffering. So that's where, and so we bring awareness to both how we're relating to it and also what's, what's sort of going on in the background. What view, what attach, what idea, what uh, frame of reference, uh, what preference is going on that's adding to that mix. So why do we do this? Why, why would we have any interest in this? We have interest in this because Life's full of those kind of moments. I often have people coming up to me and say, you know, I, I'm, I'm living in the city and the noise is just driving me nuts. The neighbor's noise, the kids upstairs, the whatever it is. Or if it's not the noise, it's something else, right? It's my partner or uh, my colleague or my financial situation or I'm homeless or whatever it is. And the more we can bring a presence that's infused with, with friendliness, with kindness, there's more capacity. So there's a cartoon that I like uh, that speaks to, really it's a good summary of the human condition. The history of man in three captions. First caption, the history of man. The second caption, man's scratching his chin. What the hell is happening? Mm-hmm. Chapter three, the end. <laughs> what the hell is this all about? This life thing? This, what are we doing here? And then it ends. And then maybe we have a few little inklings of some idea about something, hopefully, at the end of life. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> or more inkling that we really have no clue whatsoever. And it's okay. Hopefully it's okay. So I spent a fair bit of time watching the Olympics over the last few weeks. And people watching the Olympics here? Yeah. Yeah. And one of the things I I notice when I watch sporting events like that is um, there's a lot of losers. Not losers as in the, you know, waste of a life, but just, you know, it's all about winning, right? So it's wonderful when people have trained for 20 years and they excel and they do these triple somersaults and be on the beams. And But I, I, I can't help noticing all the people who don't get the gold, you know, yeah. or don't get a medal at all, you know, but sometimes it's, they just got a silver, you know, 
They're only the second best in the world <laughs> at something. And just the poignancy of that, the poignancy of, 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 of de dedicating your life to something and, and then missing whatever you were going for by a hundredth of a second in a race. And I just, I, I just can't help feeling the poignancy of the human condition, both the joy and the celebration of, 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 the, of how people excelling in their, in their physical excellence. And at the same time, the, the pain that comes from, from longing and uh, from loss, really from disappointment. So it's wherever, and, and, and then to see how each athlete deals with that. You know, some you can see there's a lot of intense self-judgment, of failure, um, and then there's resignation or, the, or comforting other people. So if you take a, if you to reflect on your, on your meditation today, on your, on your day, on your week, and to notice, just to pay attention to, how, how do you meet yourself? How do you, how do you hold your experience? How do you greet what comes when you're sitting and it's challenging, or boring, or anxiety-provoking, or scary? Yeah. You know, and life is always throwing things at us, right? Every day, maybe every hour sometimes. Physical challenges, emotional challenges. And what, what quality of kindness or compassion or friendliness or curiosity? Because um, in my experience, when, when, when we have, when our attention is infused with, with really with love, or some derivative of love, warmth, softening, kindness, tenderness, receptivity, openness, connectivity, then there's a, the, whatever experience is happening is received in a more welcoming place. So if you think about the time when you're feeling love, maybe looking at a flower or a loved one or your dog or your cat or the beauty of the sunlight or what, what, notice what happens in your body the next time you're feeling a sense of love or connection. It softens, it melts, right? it makes things easier, right? it's rose-tinted. Right? So when, the, when that quality is infused into awareness, then we meet these, these difficult things in our lives with, with more receptivity, with more allowing, there's more, we can go into them more easily, into them, open to them, hold them, ultimately to disidentify from them in the sense of holding them without being so embroiled. We hold them kindly, spaciously. Not so easy. That's why we practice. But even paying attention to it, so, so to bring in a, in a quality of curiosity about how I'm meeting this moment just that very act of looking to see the presence or the absence of whether kindness is there can actually help bring it forward. Because often when I, when I do that, um, what I see is if I see there's a, there's a harshness or a coolness or a reactivity, 
then there's a, there's a chance for like, oh, that's not helpful. I'm just giving myself, I'm giving my body a hard time because it's feeling anxious. That's really helpful. <laughs> you shouldn't be feeling anxious. Stop those twitchy legs. That doesn't help. But if I see that, it's like, oh, oh yeah, this is suffering. This is painful. Oh, how about a little tenderness here? A little, 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 little breath, a little openness. So what happens then, then we start to be tenderized by life. I think of life as a tenderizing machine. <laughs> I thought it was a battering ram, I don't know, one of the two, but if we're open, it can be tenderizing. We can sort of be, it works us, right? We can't get through a day without being worked in some way. This is a poem from my favorite poets, Ellen Bass. It's called Waking Grievers. If you knew, what if you knew you'd be the last to touch somebody? If you were taking tickets, for example, at the theater, tearing them, giving back the ragged stubs, you might take care to touch that palm or press your fingertips into the crease of a lifeline. When a man pulls his wheeled suitcase too slowly through the airport, when the car in front of me doesn't signal, and when the clerk at the pharmacy won't say thank you, I don't remember they're going to die. A friend told me she'd been with her aunt. They had just had lunch and the waiter, a young gay man with plum black eyes, joked as he served the coffee, kissed her aunt's powdered cheek when they left. <coughs> then they walked half a block and her aunt dropped dead on the sidewalk. How close does the dragon's spume have to come? How wide does the crack in heaven have to split? What would people look like if we could see them as they are, soaked in honey, stung, stung and swollen, reckless and pinned against time? What would people look like if we could see them as they are, soaked in honey, stung and swollen, reckless and pinned against time? Maybe we'd look at each other slightly differently and we see they were all pinned against time. It's a beautiful metaphor. So, you know, what I see with, with life, with this moment-to-moment -moment practice of presence, is, is every, every moment there's a, there's a seeming choice of how to greet and how to meet. And that the, the line from Rumi, where he's inviting us to greet the strangers that come through our door with laughter and welcome, the grief and the sorrow and the joys. So, to, and maybe to even, maybe that's something we don't even realize that we have a choice in each moment how we meet how we greet our experience. So, I quote this line from Hafiz's poem where he says, um, uh, I, can, I forget what he says, but it's really good. Uh, <laughs> uh, God, I 
forgotten what I said. <laughs> oh, come back to me. Um, he's saying what I'm trying to say, but more poetically. Um, oh, you have all the ingredients to turn your life into a nightmare. You have all the ingredients in you, in you to turn your life into a nightmare. Do not mix them. Do not mix them. Right? You have, you have this ingredients to, when you meet this moment, for it to be either okay, bearable, enjoyable, insightful, or hellish, right? And I'm sure as many people there are in this room, there were many, there were many, as many reactions or, or responses to, to your meditation and to the sounds that were happening. There's no objective experience out there. So, and then he also says, you have all the ingredient, ingredients to turn your life into a joy. Mix those, mix those. So these qualities, these ingredients of presence, kindness, are available, can be drawn on. So the, the practice really is remembering. Mindfulness, one of the root meanings of mindfulness is remembering. And really we're practicing to remember to remember. Okay. Remembering to remember, oh, yes, I, I can meet this with, I can meet this in not the usual habitual way that I meet this. That's a possibility. So I wrote a poem some time back that speaks to this a little. I may have read this here before. It's called Your Only Duty. Your only duty is not to run, even if the hole of loss burns deep in your belly, and on waking you feel the dread of walking into the day stripped bare as wind pierces the empty places inside. You can pretend, try putting on a face other than your own, but that's a game that's never worked and only burns a deeper hole inside the pocket of longing that makes the shell you've chosen to live in even more hollow. But there are times when you turn towards where you are and touch the hungry places inside you've spent a lifetime running from with delicate hands of love the way the evening fog envelops the solitary tree without flinching, pressing into and loving every gnarled crevice, every twisted branch, even the forgotten needles fall into the ground. This is the first step that begins the slow journey of completeness, keeps inviting you deeper into the roots of yourself, claiming your place that has always been waiting, that is always right here. So that's the invitation of the practice. I was teaching a course up the hill uh, this year, and a woman was uh, on the retreat. She was prompted to come to the retreat because her husband of many, many years had just passed. And she said her practice was, was learning how to meet herself and that grief with some heartfulness. 
how to turn towards that rather than recoil from the, from the depths of the despair. And what she reported after, this is a week-long retreat, what she reported towards the end of the retreat was this desire of, she said, I just want to be kind. I just want to be kind. That, that's what came out of that turning towards that experience. And I've heard that in so many different ways when we turn into what we think is impossible or difficult or challenging um, with this this heartful presence, then something else can be born, something else comes through that's quite quite exquisite, quite beautiful. There's a, a line from a poem from Jennifer Woward that uh, there's a few lines in this poem that, that kind of capture what this quality in this poem called Unconditional, she writes, Willing to experience aloneness, I discover connection everywhere. Turning to face my fear, I meet the warrior who lives within. Opening to my loss, I gain the embrace of the universe. Each condition I flee from pursues me. Each condition I flee from pursues me. Each condition I welcome transforms me and becomes itself transformed. So that's really that's a wonderful, pithy summary of this, of this teaching. Each condition I flee from follows me, pursues me, right? Do we, can we ever go far enough and avoid our stuff? Can you fly to Hawaii and... No, it just gets into our suitcase somehow. Just, I don't know what's... The, you'd think the security would be blocked, you know, like... No baggage allowed, you know. <laughs> but it gets through. And we drag it with us, these big suitcases of whatever it is we're running from, and then we're sitting on the beach with our Mai Tai, and there it is. Self-loathing. God, I thought I'd left that at home. Each condition I welcome transforms me. So when we welcome things, when we open to them, things move. You notice that? When we, when we, when we open to them, when we allow then you know, life wants to be felt and, and lived and moved and, and things transform. Not necessarily easy, not necessarily uh, often painful, but there's movement and it transforms itself. Grief transforms itself into softness, into compassion, into whole, wholeness. So, some questions for you to reflect on. So maybe close your eyes for a moment, we'll do this as a, as a meditation. So, and just bring your attention into your body. Noticing what's here. (coughs) Noticing how you're meeting this, this moment, this sensation, feeling, experience. 
and to ask the question, what would it be to meet and to welcome this experience? What would it be to welcome this experience with openness, with friendliness? So we're just starting where we are. And then to ask the question, where is it in your life, what is it in your life, what is it in your experience that you don't welcome? Another way of asking the question, is there one place that's asking to be met with this friendly, kind presence? That's calling for your attention, that's training you or growing you. And then to imagine in this moment, turning yourself, turning your, turning your awareness to that, turning your attention to that, as if you already know fully how to welcome and greet that with kindness, with love, with presence. Because we know how to do this stuff. We've done it a million times before. And then we encounter something that feels too difficult. And then we, we imagine, we remember, oh yes, I can do this. I can bring a loving presence to this. And if I can't in that moment, can I be kind with that experience? Can I be accepting of that limitation in this moment? So, and then as we practice, you know, we do our work here, we do our work on the cushion, on the mat, and then our, our practice is to take it off the mat. So when you're carpooling home, or when you're dealing with traffic, or when you get home to your family or your partner, then we extend the practice, we extend the generosity to meet that moment. How come you're late? You didn't put the trash out, or whatever. You forgot the groceries. Or you get some alarming email. So we take the inner practice and we, and we, and we, what, we what I like to call return the favor. We, 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 it's a practice of generosity to take the qualities that we harness in ourselves and offer them to whatever, whoever we're around.
So, good luck. <laughs> um, and I mean that most sincerely. No, I do. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, with anything that's, you know, with any teachings that here or elsewhere, you know, it's, I always like to have a caveat that, that um, it's easy to hear a teaching and then we create a standard. Okay, well now I have to have a friendly presence too as well. It's not just enough to be mindful, I have to have a kind presence. <laughs> and then we're on our kid, well that wasn't very kind. That self-talk wasn't very nice. And then we just add to another list of self-berating. So to, you know, to, and that's why I said that thing at the end, to really meet our limitations, that, that's as equally important to meet that with kind presence. And when we can't do these practices, can we meet that? That's when we really need it. Okay, so uh, lovely to see you all, lovely to be here. And uh, Robert Hall's back next week, and I'll be back sometime, I think, late September. So many blessings. Thank you. Good luck with the writing. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.